great music this morning. What a blessing just to be around that and experience that. I remember it was just a few years ago, I was in my mid-twenties, and uh, <laughs> that's not that funny. So. But I was one of the newest members of First Baptist Atlanta, and it was night church, and I was a little disappointed because there was not going to be any preaching that night. Instead, the choir, they had an incredible choir. It was almost as good as First Baptist Dublin today. So. Uh, but the choir was going to present Handel's Messiah, and I'd probably heard that before, but never consciously, never paid attention to that. So I went in and got my program and sat down, and I could tell by the size of the crowd and by the orchestra that had been added and uh, the full choir that was overflowing for the presentation that it was going to be, it was supposed to be, and it would be a big deal. But before the first note was ever sung, one of the young staff members of the church got up and read, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah. The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords, hallelujah. And with that, they launched into a long presentation of Handel's Messiah. That portion I just read was the hallelujah chorus. Now this morning, when we finish, we're going to conclude church a little differently. To finish up Thanksgiving and launch into Christmas season, instead of our usual ending, our choir is going to lead... Uh, I guess if you want to join in, it'd be okay. I'm going to listen. Uh, but I'm going to stand as a, uh, there's a tradition attributed to George II, the King of England, that he stood for the Hallelujah Chorus. Nobody can confirm that, but that's the tradition. And so for hundreds of years, we've been standing for the Hallelujah Chorus. So when I get through with doing what I'm doing this morning, I invite you to stand with me as our choir leads us uh, in sharing the Hallelujah Chorus. 1741 was an interesting year, and the English-speaking church on both sides of the ocean, it was an interesting year. Some really important things were going on. The Holy Spirit is always at work. God is never idle. Sometimes His works are invisible to us, and we're so caught up in our routine that we're not aware of it. Sometimes it's more profoundly obvious, and 1741 would have been a year like that on both sides of the ocean. Here in Georgia, the Wesleys had come and recently left. John Wesley would write about his experience of coming to Georgia, of what a disaster it was. And he said, I went to convert the, the Indians. Who will convert me? That's how the, the valley he was in spiritually. But along the trip, the voyage, he met some of Zinzendorf, Zinzendorf's uh, Moravians, uh, who had a different kind of faith, not just mechanical, not legalistic, not methodical, but of the heart. And he filed that in his mind and in his, his uh, spiritual experience. And when he got back to London, uh, the Lord just opened a whole new Christian faith experience for him and for his brothers, Charles. By 1741, they were back in London preaching the messages, the evangelistic messages to the English people and writing the great hymns that we still sing today. In America, Whitfield was preaching up and down through the colonies from Georgia 
to New England, back to Georgia and started an orphanage here. Uh, he was the Billy Graham of the time. That was his time frame. And he was preaching a religion of the heart, not just an intellectual thing, but a, a faith, a Christian faith of the heart. Jonathan Edwards was up in New England preaching from his pulpit what we'd probably consider dry sermons today. But from handwritten manuscripts, he was preaching the Word of God with power. Sermons like sinners in the hands of an angry God. But people were turning to Christ in 1741 in America and England. It's in that context that Handel did his work that we hear this morning. Handel was German, but he moved to London as a young man and died there. He lived almost 50 years in the same apartment. You can visit it today. And you can see where the keyboards were. And in less than a month's time, he took the text that had been given to him by a guy, Charles Jennings, who took scripture from the Christmas story and from Isaiah and from the book of Revelation that we'll look at this morning and assembled a written text of verses and Handel set it to music in about three weeks' time, which I don't know how you do that period, let alone in a space of time like that. But he did, and it was eventually presented to the public, first in Dublin, that other Dublin, you know, the, the one over there in Ireland. And eventually it was presented in England with a lot of criticism from nitpickers here and there. But Handel had put together what would be the most performed choral music ever of all time. Nothing will ever catch up with what you're going to hear in a few minutes from our choir. It has been sung and resung on both sides of the ocean and around the world. It comes largely, as we'll see, from the book of Revelation, declaring the wonder of the person and of the coming of Jesus. That's what Christmas is all built around, who Jesus is and why he came and the great reality that he did come. Now, we want to look at text very briefly uh, from three chapters of Revelation, just real quickly, and then go back to chapter 11 that we skipped over. And you probably didn't notice that we skipped over chapter 11 when we came through or the part we look at this morning. But if you skip forward to Revelation 19, just one verse, verse 6, the text would read, Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters. We saw that image uh, last week, that rushing sound. And like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty One, reigns. If you read the King James, and probably some of you have that open, even as I'm reading, it's not Hallelujah, but Alleluia. And that's because there's, in the Greek text, is a rough breathing mark. It looks kind of like a backwards comma or just a little thing above an A that creates the letter H. The Greeks don't have a letter H, but they've got a rough breathing mark. And it should be there, and the King James translators didn't include it, but it should have that, and so it's hallelujah, or hallelujah, or however you want to pronounce it in your version of English. But John says, I heard something. It was, he has a, a challenge, and we've seen it several times in Revelation a challenge describing loud volume, glorious loud volume. Heaven's going to be loud. I'm convinced a lot of it's going to be loud. And you'll like it when it is. It will be gloriously 
loud. And he says it was like a great multitude of voices. Like the rushing of many waters and, and great thunders. And there's, it's obviously a, a song and they're singing and, and they're singing hallelujah. Which means praise the Lord. Hallelujah because the Lord, he gives three names here. And you could just put equal marks between the three. The way it's written. The Lord. Our God. The Almighty One reigns and he does this morning and in all the midst of all of our activities and the rush and and thinking about Christmas and thinking about football and thinking about all the things that fill our heads sometimes we forget that the Lord our God the almighty one reigns it's really in the past tense as he writes it there reigned which means he's taken his position but for you and me today as we endeavor to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ we must remember he reigns that's what kings do that's what's done by those who are really truly in charge revelation chapter 17 verse 14 said these will wage war you have to have a context we can't get into this morning but these will wage war against the lamb that's our Jesus and the lamb will overcome them because he is lord of lords and king of kings and those who are with him are called the chosen and faithful chapter 19 of the book of revelation says and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written king of kings and lord of lords that's where Jennings and in turn Handel drew their material that's where the words come from from these great texts of the scriptures now I want to go back to Revelation chapter 11 and just look at a few verses quickly this morning. So you may want to follow on the screen or join me in listening or look at your own text. Verse 15 says, And the seventh angel sounded. You've got seven angels blowing seven trumpets. And so literally it's the seventh angel trumpeted. And there are going to be incredible bowls of wrath that are going to fall on the earth. And in that, God is drawing together his punctuation for his progressive plan of redemption down through the ages. There have been seals broken. There have been all kinds of signs and wonders. And now these trumpets and the last of the seven is now blown. And there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord. If you read that in the King James Bible, it says the kingdoms, plural, but that's not the best. And there's a, a mystery to be resolved at some future time. Handel put it in the singular, or Jennings did. How whatever they were drawing on had it the kingdom. And that's in accord with the best Greek manuscripts that they didn't have access to that we know. But rather than tracking the King James, the Handel's Messiah and the, uh, the text there really comes from a King James Bible and the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. Uh, so it's surprising that it's put in, correctly put in the singular here. The kingdom of this world, man's world, man's world without Christ is really what's talked about here. What man has done in his best effort has been transformed 
And John, as he's writing this down, is thinking back to the cross, but he's thinking forward to the second coming of Christ. And he says, that kingdom of the world that fails and will fail and continue to fail, it has become in Christ the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Lord in this context means God the Father and his Christ. And he, that is God the Father and Christ, will reign forever and ever, or literally unto the ages of the ages, which is the Johanni way of saying forever. It will never end. You need to be encouraged. Whatever disturbs you this morning, and it could be a lot of things, and it is a lot of things for lots of us over different matters. Whatever it is, we need to be mindful that Jesus, the risen Jesus, the returning Jesus, reigns forever and ever and ever without end. That makes all the difference in your worldview, your core values, your attitude about everything in your life. He reigns forever. In verse 16, it says, And the 24 elders, you may remember them from early in the book of Revelation, the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God, around the throne of God, fell on their faces and worshiped God. I don't think you've got to fall on your face for all of your worship, but there needs to be something in us that some point along the trail gets that, and whether we do it literally or spiritually in our hearts, we fall on our faces before so great a God. He's that big to us and that important to us. And those who see him most closely fall on their faces, the 24 elders, whoever they are. And they're saying, we give thanks, O Lord, God, the Almighty One, who are and were because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And everything that was intended from the beginning for God has now in Christ become a reality and the, the fulfillment of all this messianic process of bringing salvation to the earth. You've taken your mighty power and you have begun to reign. Your position on your throne. I tell you, if it, if it doesn't stir you somehow, examine your faith. It makes all the difference in the world that these words are true. And John, who knew Jesus better than anybody, says he has taken his power, his great power, not his upgrade on our best, his great power, his unimaginable uh, power, his greatness. And he says, and the nations were enraged and your wrath came. The nations were Challenged by that, you have to read all the book of Revelation. It's a, it's a blowout war, world war, cosmic war between the forces of good and evil. And God prevails and prevails and again and again overcomes. And John says again, and the nations were enraged by all that. And your wrath came. The bowls of wrath are about to be poured out in the following chapters. And the long verse continues... And the time came for the dead to be judged and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name. Sometimes we get caught up on 
uh, things about whether it's fair or not or whether we got what we had coming to us and somebody else uh, got better, they got rated higher than us or they got more stuff than we got or, or more appreciation than we received. And uh, at this moment of verse 18, all of that will be incredibly stupid. It will all go away. And nobody's going to be saying, but I should have this night. What about me? John says that the Lord says when that time comes, he will bring the appropriate reward to all the bondservants or the slaves of the Lord, the prophets, the saints, that's believers, that's not uh, particular individuals that are especially revered and prayed to. That's just the believer, the true believers, the Old Testament prophets and the saints of all time and especially the New Testament and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. The bad guys lose. Around our house with grandkids, we're real into good guys and bad guys. The Bible is filled with good guys and bad guys, and the bad guys lose. And they lose in the book of Revelation profoundly, completely, and finally forever. And the message comes down through Jesus. Not only are your sins cleansed, but righteousness is coming to planet Earth in a way it hasn't seen since the Garden of Eden. Through Christ, through Christ alone, that victory will come. And he will destroy the destroyers, is what John literally says. All those that have brought evil and harm and confusion and destruction to the things that are pure and of God. All that will be addressed among the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah. Yes, we, we have no trouble imagining that. And the saints, we can think back to Stephen and Acts and his martyrdom and the great believers down through the ages, our church heroes. But he says, but to also to the ones fearing the name, all those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, the small and the great, the great and the small. You might say, well, I'm just small. I'm insignificant in the church. Nobody knows about me. They don't even really know me at my own church, and I'm just a small boy. He says, no, the, to the great and to the small, the victory comes through Christ, through the finality, through the glory of the victory of Jesus Christ. Now, that's the context from which that passage comes it's used for Handel's Messiah. So when our choir starts singing about the glory of our Lord and the greatness of his victory, it comes out of this text that he wins. He wins finally and completely and profoundly. The last verse of the paragraph we look at this morning, chapter 11, verse 19 says, And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened. Lord willing, in a few weeks, I'm going to Israel with a bunch of Zambians. I can't wait. It's going to be a great experience. I look forward to going back up on Temple Mount and thinking about the temples that were there and the ones Solomon built and the ones Zerubbabel built and the one Herod the Great built. And, and just being in that location is awesome. But all of those were just props to teach. You read through the Bible, maybe some of you will sign up and commit to read through the Bible and 2019, And you get into those uh, early books and you see Moses building the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, I'd love to see the Ark of the Covenant. That would be an incredible thing to see. The real one. 
see exactly how Moses had it built and, and what it looked like. And yet that ark and that temple were just visual aids. They're just props to teach about something that's far greater than that. The ark and the temple in heaven in the presence of God. Not for a season of time in the nation of Israel, but in eternity in the presence of God. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, John says. Now John, I, just, I can't wait to talk to John about this. What was it like just to see what he's struggling to describe for us? John, who didn't have television and computer-generated movies and all the stuff that we see that portray things, and John's struggling to describe what God's allowing him to see. And he says, I, I'm looking into heaven, and, and there's the Ark of the Covenant. And it's set in a temple, a glorious temple that's in perfect condition. The Ethiopians say they've got the Ark of the Covenant. I don't know about that. Nobody's ever really seen it. They won't show it to you, or even pictures of it. It's carefully guarded, but they claim Solomon's uh, son brought it down there to Ethiopia. Uh, some say that Jeremiah took it to Egypt. Some say that Jeremiah took it across the Jordan River into the, uh, the, what's now the country of Jordan and buried it in the hillside there overlooking the Jordan Valley. A lot of our Jewish friends say that it's buried under Temple Mount, right under the Holy of Holies. And if you dug down deep enough, uh, you could find it still sitting there waiting uh, for some great day in the future. But John's really telling us it doesn't really matter because that was just the preview. That was the lead-in. That was the, the visual aid uh, to aim your heart and your spirit to a, a knowledge of the Ark of the Covenant and glory. The Ark of the Covenant had the box, and in the box was the law given to Moses, the Ten Commandments, and, and the law of Israel. And over the top was the mercy seat, and two cherubim with their wings coming up over, and it's all inlaid with gold. It must have been absolutely beautiful. And it's the symbolism of there's the law that shows you your sin. And over the top where the blood is sprinkled on the Day of Atonement is the covering for your failure in the face of such a law. It's the gospel in a box. It's the four spiritual laws in a box. A traveling visual aid on poles that the nation carried with them that they might learn that they are moral failures before a holy God. But Jesus Christ would die in our place and His blood the blood we heard about a few minutes ago. And so great a song. That blood would indeed cover for those who had faith in Christ. So John has this great picture in his head, this, this, this movie happening for John. There's the Ark of the Covenant and his temple. And there are flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. It's incredible what's going on around this ark. And the ark says to you and me today, it is the heart of God, his desire that we would see, not the closed veil. When Jesus was crucified, the rock split at Calvary. If, if you believe that the church of the Holy Sepulchre is the right place, and I do, uh, you can see where the cross would have been and was, and you can see that it split. And an earthquake ran through Jerusalem that day. 
this uh, earthquake-prone region, but it ran through there that day, and, and the curtain in the temple was torn apart because of that. And that uh, limited access to the presence, the symbolic presence of God was addressed that day. If you've seen The Passion of the Christ, the movie, you see that veil torn and the priests just go crazy. They're panicked because now people are seeing into the Holy of Holies. And John is saying in the book of Revelation, in this text from which the Hallelujah Chorus comes, I looked and I could see into heaven. I could see not the Holy of Holies on Temple Mount in Jerusalem. I could see the Holy of Holies of heaven and see the glory of the reality that God wants us connected to him, relating to him. He's accessible, not because we've merited it, but because Christ has. And our faith is in Christ. It's an incredible thought. We can blitz through these verses of Revelation or through the gospel account. We can read the the story of Christmas quickly to our children or hear our choir sing or hear Elizabeth sing those words and it can go in one ear and out the other and we're back to ball scores and, and all the other stuff. And somewhere along the celebration of Christmas, it needs to to slam into us and say, this is like no other reality in your life. The God who gave you life and breath has come to you in the person of Jesus Christ and he has died in your place and he has risen again on the third day and he has ascended into glory and he is King of kings and Lord of lords, hallelujah, and he is coming again. What an incredible message for the believer. John writes those words in a horrible time of Roman persecution. The Roman emperors were as bad as you can imagine. Terrible things happening and the martyrs are are beginning to be martyred in the church. and, And John can look back at all those other apostles that have already died in the faith for the cause. He said, yes, but it was worth it because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is reigning and he will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. Unto the ages of the ages. That's our Jesus. That's why we have Christmas. That's why Christmas is so good. There are a lot of fun things about cultural Christmas in America. But that's why we have Christmas. He is risen, and he is king, and he is Lord. Hallelujah. Join me in prayer, and then our choir will close us. Father, we're grateful on this day that the Lord Jesus Christ, not because of our goodness, but because of his amazing grace, has entered our world and has done for us what we could never do for ourselves, which is spiritual cleansing. We're grateful that the tomb is empty and the work of the cross is finished and the King of kings and Lord of lords gloriously reigns. May it be that today he reigns over our hearts and our lives. Lord Jesus, be the Lord of First Baptist Church of Dublin, Georgia. Lord Jesus, fulfill your purposes in the earth today. May it be that as we focus on world missions in the month of December and give to world missions, uh, may it be that we're part of the fulfillment of your purposes and your great commission. 
fill our hearts with a love for the world like is expressed in the words we've considered already. Lord, help us to focus. We are so busy, Lord, prune from our lives the things that distract that we might focus on who you are, what you've done, what you are doing, and what you will do forever and ever. Thank you, Father, for the gift of music and how it was used in the ancient nation of Israel, how it was used 350-something years ago when Handel wrote, how it is used today in our churches and in our lives. Uh, Use it to shape us and mold us and encourage us. And we would ask that in the name of the King of Kings, in the name of the Lord of Lords, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.